I'd like to be. Uh, last week I was in a snowstorm in northern Michigan, and you know, it was an amazing, beautiful reminder of why I don't live in Michigan anymore. But the people were lovely. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're with us. We have a story to tell today. But before we do, there needs to be uh, a fact laid before the, the folk. And that is this. Whenever you make your living speaking, not reading off of transcripts, not reading off teleprompters, but speaking constantly and writing scores of emails and blogs and position papers and like it's bound to happen. From time to time, you will misread the room. From time to time, you will not quite grasp the brief you were given. And I remember particularly at one event where what I thought I was supposed to do really crashed and burned. It was a youth rally, and the people that had asked me to come do this wanted me to talk to these, these teens that were in a part of the country where things had gone wrong, a lot of things. And the kids did not have much in the way of support when it came to belief and to living right and to working for their, their food. And it was just a, it was a hard time. So they wanted me to come and tell them the extraordinary things you can do with Jesus and how he can transform this. Well, I took that and ran about 88 miles too far and talked about our family, and talked about medical missions, and about dragging you know, crates and coolers onto canoes, and uh, about being able to speak here, there, and the like, and I thought this will encourage them. Well, it might have encouraged somebody, but I didn't meet them. Uh, at the break, one young lady came up to me, and she said, that was you know, fascinating and fine, but I'll never do any of that. And she went on to say, I'm just a girl who lives here and I I don't I won't be able to do this. I'm not connected to this. And of course inside, because I'm an old guy that always likes to try to, you know, push and do inside I'm I'm going, but you may be one day, but I had to I had to make that go quiet and listen to her. And I realized what I'd done. I'd made it sound as if to her, um that you had to be really extra special to do great things for God. That was not my intention, but that's what I did. Speakers will do that from time to time. It's happened more than once that I've blown an assignment, and I blew that one. And so it made me, she helped me quite a bit, actually, because she made me sit back and rethink my entire presentation. I did have another hour with them to where I could stand up and, and do the mea culpa and try to repair as much of the, as that as I can. We'll see what God did with it. You know, he's in charge. But I can remember what it feels like to be out of place. I remember once we had to come back to the States because there was trouble raising support by, and this church wanted us to come back and do it. And Cammy and I landed in the heat of Norfolk, Virginia, in the middle of summer, humidity is somewhere around 8,000%. We were, we were just worn out, sweaty, tired, and our wee baby that was born in Scotland is now across here, and she's, she just knows the sun is not supposed to be up at this time of day, and she's upset. And we got into a hotel. I think our luggage went missing for, you know, it did for a day, so that was just extra special. 
And we were sitting there looking at each other, and we were so thirsty. But it was 6, 7 o'clock at night, so I knew we couldn't get anything. And then both of us kind of lit up. And I went, we're, we're in America. Something will be open at 7. And we looked across, and there, you asked for God to give you a sign. There was one. It said Wendy's. It's not the one we were looking for, but I remembered what it was. So I went across the parking lots and stood in line. And the, back then, they had something called Biggie. Because, cause. So I, I ordered Biggie drinks. And I can remember the lady told me how much it was. And I couldn't understand her. Because she, unlike me, had an accent and it was thick. And so eventually, I held out my hand with coins and she picked. And then as I'm drinking, she uh, brings up, if you want free refills, just let me know. And I was stunned. I couldn't move. I had not heard of this thing. Free refills? I'm thinking I could move Kami and Kata from the hotel to here. And we'd never have to pay for another one of these. We could, but it was just an amazing thing. Years later, we would move back to the States. And my wife sent me to the store, to a Kroger store, which is a large grocery store in most parts of the country. And some parts, they call it by different names, like King Supers. But um, she sent me there. We needed soap. Now, I don't remember what kind of soap we needed, but I'm assuming it was bath soap. What I do remember is finding that aisle and going, there's so much soap. There are so, what? I'm used to going and getting soap. You know, we had, and now by the way, in Britain today, they've got Tesco and they've got Marks and Spencer and they've got Safeway. But at the time, this, you know, you went to the, you went to Boots, the chemist is where you went. And here's the soap. It's just like this. And so I knew what the proper, there was so much. I think, now this is before cell phones, kids. So you couldn't call and check. I think I bought a large variety knowing that she would send me back with the unwanted stuff. But it was shocking to see the different, I mean, how many soaps does one need? Evidently, a lot. I wanted to be in a Baskin Robbins at that stage where they only sold vanilla. There were too many choices. Have you ever been with somebody who went into a Baskin Robbins and ordered vanilla? Would you, and by Baskin Robbins, again, I keep forgetting we're international. It's an ice cream place here that has, what are the number of flavors it's supposed to? 31. And they rotate them. And so it's, it's an amazing place. This is why America is great. But I've actually been with people before that said their favorite was vanilla. And I'm just going, oh, look, we have a testimony right here. You know, um, at my, my first thought was, well, you know, I don't know that I can be your friend. But then I began to think more about that. Even vanilla, we have French vanilla and you've got double cream this. I, it's just... Sometimes you can look at the incredible variety around you. Maybe a whole bunch of snack machines in a hotel. And you can't help but wonder if you're the saltine crackers in E4. If you're the thing that's going to be there forever. Not pushed. Because you're not that special. 
Maybe when you look at TV, you see people, but you never see people like you. And on a stage in a church, you see excellence in worship, but you never see anybody like you. I wonder if you think of yourself as the plain one. Cammie and I, in a slightly different way, we, uh, we had a realization this last, uh, oh, just a few months ago. We stopped for the night in Lawrence, Kansas. Lawrence, Kansas is a nice town, and it's a university town. And we were near the university. We went out to find a place to eat right on the main drag in the middle of town. And I don't believe it's an exaggeration to say everybody we saw had interesting hair, interesting tattoos, interesting piercings, and shirts or clothing to announce where they were on various social policies. And Cammie and I are sat at the restaurant by the window. So they're walking by us and the people are coming in. We're surrounded by this. And about halfway through the meal, I looked up at Cammie and I said, you know, hon, we're the weirdos. We're the out of touch. We're the bizarre creatures down here because we're the ones that are out of place. I mean, you, that feeling can hit you anywhere. The same thing can happen when you look at church people. They're the stars, the, the famous pastors, the Christian writers, the podcasts, the seminar givers. And you can try to copy them, but it never works. So do you just sit back and say, I give up? I'm not special. I'm just a vanilla Christian. I want to tell you the story about a vanilla man. His name was Andrew. He was born in Bethsaida on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. His father was Jonah, a very popular name at that time. And yes, named after the prophet uh, Jonah, whose burial place was very, very close to Andrew's birthplace. It was a name that fishermen named their kids, Jonah. And now here comes Andrew. It can be dangerous to psychoanalyze a person you've never met. And in fact, it's malpractice, which bothers me whenever a psychiatrist in our news do that with, I don't care if they're doing it with Trump or Biden, you know, I'm going, that's malpractice. You signed an oath saying you wouldn't do that. You have to sit with a person to diagnose a person. But Andrew's been dead for 2,000 years, so I'm going to take a shot. 2,000 years ago, that person's world and culture is so very different. But Andrew, if he was a deep thinker, we don't know about it. If he was charismatic, we don't know about that either. We just know he was a fisherman. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a fisherman, obviously. Uh, I don't fish much because I found out that you can buy this in shops. And you don't have to sit out in boats all day and swat at mosquitoes. It, it's not a requirement. So I don't, and I've had people say it's a great sport. Okay. It's the only sport I know where you can gain weight while doing it. But all right, fair enough. He just seemed to be a guy. He first left, left his nets to follow John the Baptist. And as, just as John the Baptist interest, uh, introduced the world to Jesus and Jesus to the world, Andrew introduced his brother Peter to Jesus. Later, he would introduce Philip 
to Jesus. And Philip would later on, we, we know about the queen's treasurer slash Ethiopian eunuch, but also his four daughters who preached. So he, he, had a, he made a big splash. Peter, we all know about Peter. Andrew, we know he followed Jesus to the, the wedding feast in Cana. We know he followed Jesus down to Jerusalem where he cleared, uh, cleared the temple. But some time after that, he disappears and goes back to his nets. For how long? We don't know. Jesus found them there and called for them to follow him and become fishers of men. And we know that Peter, James, and John responded, right? Because they're the headliners of the event. But Andrew left his nets too. And he followed Jesus. He wasn't famous. He would never become famous. Well, there's a caveat. I'll bring that up later. But he was quietly introducing people to Jesus. Doing little things that nobody will ever really know much about. But we, we can see how God used it. When we think of Peter, we think of being a fisher of men. The difference between Peter and his brother Andrew was, was pretty fast. Peter's extrovert. He's out there. He's loud. He works in crowds. His, his well, like me, Peter can go wrong with what he says as well and say something inappropriate at the wrong time. Yeah, and just, he did. Andrew was quiet, and he seemed to engage with people when he did, one-on-one. -on -one. He brought them to Jesus or to one of the apostles or disciples and then quietly fades from the story. It was Andrew who thought to introduce the boy who had the fish and bread to Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000. The others, they were high-powered apostle types now. So they were, you know, this is a real problem and we don't understand this problem. And obviously Jesus doesn't figure out the problem. Andrew, for some reason, figured out, well, here's a guy who's got some stuff. So he brings it to Jesus. More on that later as well. But again, introducing someone to the circle. At the feast of the Passover, Andrew also shows up and introduces people to Jesus. He asked Jesus, uh, he's the one that asked Jesus about the end of time. He said, is it now that we ride into to Jerusalem? So we can see he wasn't an expert in the Old Testament and he hadn't really grasped everything Jesus had been talking about. But he was there. He showed up. And by the way, that's the last thing we know of him in the, in the New Testament. That question. We never see his name again. So what happened next? Well, interesting historical fact that everybody knows. If history leaves a blank space, people rush to fill it up. You can buy many books about the childhood of Jesus. And they're all made up. Every one of them. But people don't like that hole. That from 12 years old to 30 hole. They don't even like that from 2 or 3 years old to 12. And they want to fill that one up as well. Well, people have filled in an awful lot of things about Andrew. And some of them are a little bizarre because medieval stuff was bizarre. The legends that came out of the medieval church were so unbelievable as to be, why do you think this is helping? But most of the stories that were made up about Andrew are really vanilla stories. He just shows up and introduces somebody and goes away. 
we, we figure, um, it seems, that he might have been in southern Russia for a while, in modern-day, uh, rather in Scythia, which is modern-day um, Black Sea area. We also know uh, that most legends put him in Asia Minor, which is Turkey and Kyrgyzstan. Uh, he also went, he may have gone to all three because they do kind of fall in an arc there. We think, the legends are many, that he was crucified on an X-shaped cross, which actually was one of the Romans' options. They didn't always have you on the upright cross. And again, that has had to do a lot with what kind of surface. They couldn't dig down deep enough to set one. They would prop one up and actually have props on the back of it. So a lot of countries actually adopted that X as the St. Andrew's Cross as part of their flag. It is the national flag of Scotland, uh, the St. Andrew's Cross, a white cross on a blue band, uh, backing. His bones were venerated. Now, here we have to take just a little aside. There, there's a big history behind this, and it's a fascinating history, but it's not a history for us today. We don't have that kind of time. But the Roman Catholic Church developed... A, a doctrine, a strong belief that to have an altar, you had to have a relic. And a relic is a bit, a piece of something from a saint. Uh, it could be a little finger bone. It could be a cloth that they use to wipe their face. But it, you have to have a relic under every altar. That is still taught even after Vatican II. So there was a huge business and selling bones to churches. And if you were to put together all of the pieces of the true cross, you'd probably have an ark. And the Catholic Church, they're not stupid. They, they know that now. But back in the medieval time, you didn't know this. And it was a huge business to sell these things. Well, sometime in the late 4th or early 5th century, a man named Regulus brought some bones to Scotland of St. Andrew, supposedly, and the place where he landed and where they built the church and put them in the altar is still called St. Andrew's today, where you might have heard of it. They invented a game called golf. And whether they did that to destroy marriages and all the other, I don't know, but there it is. And the place is still called St. Andrew's. And you can walk in the ruins of the cathedral because during the wars, a Protestant group blew it up. But you can walk in the ruins of the cathedral where the bones are supposed to be still hidden to this day. And because of stories like this, his bones scattered. He's a patron saint of Scotland, Russia, and Greece, where he most likely died. But he still isn't known for anything other than introducing people to Jesus one at a time. But I want you to think about that. Think of the most talented, most beautiful, most famous, the richest people. The people that our media cannot get enough of. The people that roll out, the, you know, they, they're going to walk on the red carpet. And all the little people are kept back from them. And then the pictures are taken and they're given gift bags, baskets and things like the Grammys. Gifts that are in the basket that are worth 50, 60, and $100,000. We're never going to have that life. By the way, if you got in it, you wouldn't want it. But all of that stuff. Now think of them 
one moment after death. What do they have? As I've said before many times, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. That used to be a cool thing to say until Google showed up and people actually took pictures, staging them, obviously, of hearses pulling U-Hauls. So you can actually see pictures of that today. But they're all staged. Don't believe the internet. Um, I, I learned not to believe the internet because I read not to on the internet. So just don't. Recently, Queen Elizabeth II died. She's Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain and the British Empire. Queen Elizabeth I of Scotland because the first Queen Elizabeth was... It's, I had to say that or I would get letters from Scotland saying she wasn't. Uh, yes, because the first Queen Elizabeth didn't like Scotland and killed the Queen of Scotland. So they're not quite over it. But whenever I watched old newsreel coverage of Queen Elizabeth's coronation, you know, she was a young, beautiful woman. And it, it was all in black and white back then. You know, the world hadn't been introduced to color. But you see the carriage, and you see the royal archers, and you see uh, the Coldstream guards, and you have all of these things going, all of the shining armor. And the guy reading the, the news as she goes by spoke about how many diamonds were interwoven into her dress, how many emeralds and other precious stones were there, and about the crown that was being brought in its own carriage that would then be placed upon her head there in Westminster and the number of dollars here, pounds, number of gems, all of that stuff. I guarantee you there's nobody other than a handful of Anglophiles on the planet that could tell you those numbers today. It was big then. Compared to everybody else, we were, you know, she was wonderful and we were vanilla. But all that seems to fade. Now, Nothing against her. I think that she was a very, very fine person. And certainly, you know, she did her job the best she could. And I think most of us would agree with that. But my point is this. The glamour, the glitz, the glitter fade as quickly as last week's newspaper. And no longer is it relevant to us. But now, think about a vanilla person. A plain one. Nothing special. But they, they have Jesus. And Jesus takes their little gifts and he works with them. There are no booms. There are no glitter bombs. He just works with them quietly. One moment after death, what do they have? Now that's not to say that rich and famous people can't have Jesus too. We're not going to do the, that kind of nonsense where we have to elevate one section of society by bringing the other one down. No, no. Both the super rich and glittery and the very non-talented vanilla have exactly the same gift after death. Jesus even did a parable about that, about people that worked 12 hours and people that worked one hour and they all got the same wage because he was in charge. And he made sure they were elevated. I mean, Jesus has given us many blessings, but one of the greatest is the way he chooses the plain, the broken, the odd, the not very impressive, and make something of them. Cammie and I attended a church once, and I will not give any 
identifying details because, well, you'll see, I don't want to ever insult or hurt anybody because we were part of that church. It was a small church. And I looked about and I was thinking, everybody in here, and including me, came from the island of misfit toys. Everybody in here is limping and broken. And I actually had a conversation with God about that saying, really, can't you send us some help? Some real people? I've said many things to God that I'm very grateful he will not hold against me. Of all the blessings that God can give you, one of the greatest is letting you know he's got you. And you're exactly who he needs you to be. And he needs people that are broken. He needs people to share their physical, mental, or psychological pain and their faith with others to show people how we can live all broken up and yet still believe and still hope and still have joy. Somebody held ropes one day, and we don't know their name, but if they had not held the ropes, Paul would not have escaped the city, and Paul would have been killed, and half the New Testament would not have been written. Somebody held the ropes, and they'll never get credit for it down here. Somebody held up the arms of Moses, and actually we know their names, but held up the arms of Moses. It was an Old Testament story. The battle would only be going the Israelites' way if Moses' arms were up, and he was an old guy, and he said, I'm getting tired. So he had to have people hold up the arms. They weren't Moses, but it couldn't, the battle wouldn't have been won without them. In military, you know, every one of you know, your PFCs, your seamen first class, your, the, those are the backbone. And you can do without generals. You cannot do without sergeants and corporals. They won't ever get the medals and be famous. They'll never be a spokesperson about military affairs on one of the news channels. But they are the backbone and they run the place. And without them, you got nothing. Try to play a game of chess without the pawns. It will not go well. Women financed Jesus and his work. Women made sure they had food to eat and that they were taken care of. And we do not know the name of any one of them. You see me every week. But... I guarantee you, you don't know the names of the local team that shows up at the soundstage, makes things are going, makes sure things are going well, that uh, reaches out looking for videos from from you, so that we can uh, we can plug those in, and we don't have to do it all. We can we can see you do things. You don't know their names, but without these people, and without those who give five and ten and twenty five dollars, which the majority of those who give are giving little. And that's amazing to me because I know for you, it's a life-changing amount. You know, for some people, $25 is what they'll drop for a snack. But for you, I know that many of you have to make real adjustments in your life for that. And we, we may not know your name. I don't look at who gives. I stay away from that. Stay away from the money stuff. We have a board that keeps us solid. Um, but I will tell you this, I, I know we couldn't be here without them. We couldn't do this without them. The voice would dry up. It's the people you never see that are the heroes. And some of them probably think of themselves as vanilla, but would you have ever heard about Peter or Philip 
or the feeding of the 5,000 without Andrew? I don't think so. Think back to those religious stars you conjured up a moment ago. And remember what we do on Monday mornings with who told them and who told them? Who converted them? Who taught their Bible classes? Who taught them the songs? Do you know? And then who taught them? There's a stream of faith. And while one is bobbed up above the surface and we're all looking at that and going, this is great and wonderful, which is fine. Because sometimes we need those people to give us new lessons. Fact is, there were other people around all the time. My father gave two different stories about how he became converted with variations. Um, and, and both of them can be true. Uh, my, my mother is not here today because my mother's got, got a cold. And a cold for a 91-year-old it can be very dangerous stuff. And we don't want to share. So she's, she's away. And I was going to have her you know, be able to correct me. But now she can't. So here we go. One time, well, he knew he needed to find God because he got scared during the Korean War, frankly. Uh, they were in an airplane. Uh, he was an avionics guy. And the engine quit. And the major in charge was trying to get the thing going. And it wasn't getting going. And my dad said he, he yelled out. My dad yelled out, oh, my God. And then realized he didn't have one. And thought that was incredibly not handy. You know, you, you, you probably need one of those. So he went looking. But after the war, he was in a factory setting and he said, a man came up just kind of mumbling, you know, you might, you know, one day want to look at this kind of, and handed him a little pamphlet of some sort. And he just looked at it, saw it was religious, stuck it in his pocket, got home, and he put it where you put religious stuff in the Bible that he never read either. Then he got sick. And I believe it was a respiratory thing that was really running rampant. And so um, he was in bed for a few days, and so he asked for the Bible. You know, you, that's your life preserver life raft right there. So he grabbed it, opened it up, the, the paper fell out, and it was a, you know, how to find Christ paper. And he talks about that. He also talks about once finding a paper on a bus. Somebody just left it behind. And evidently both of them were of the same tribe, and that's how he went looking for Jesus. Well... He has—he can't even tell you what the man looked like that gave him the paper. But it made a difference. We hand out, I handed out a bunch of cards for our safe harbor in northern Michigan as I talked to police officers this last week. And I'll do it again this coming week as I talked to a nationwide association of, of Christian-run nursing homes uh, in Little Rock. And I'll be handing those out. Will, will any of those make a difference? I don't know, but I know they wouldn't if I didn't hand them out. If I hand them out, they may not work, but they certainly won't work in the box. And who knows what may happen if an ordinary pe person gets a hold of one. I've had people come up to me after I've talked about Andrew and said, well, no, he had to be a man of amazing faith. Not really. Because when he introduced the boy to Jesus to have the food, he even told Jesus, this isn't enough to do any good. He said, he put it, but what are these when there are so many people? So in our language, it's, this is all we got, won't do much. So it wasn't like he had fantastic faith. Maybe you don't either, but you just take what faith you've got and let him work on it. 
take what talents you have and see what he'll do with it. My faith is not huge and amazing like a rock of Gibraltar. And I make that very plain. I wrestle with God. And yet, he's taken my very, very few gifts. He's done some stuff with it. He'll do the same with you. You may be plain vanilla. But it seems like vanilla is one of God's favorite flavors. Maybe, like Andrew, you don't have much ambition. Maybe people aren't thinking highly of you. But Andrew just wanted to be near Jesus. And Jesus wanted Andrew just as he was. He never said, Andrew, you know, it would be better. I need you to step up your performance in these ways. He never did. He never did. But he kept showing up. Quietly. Consistently. Faithful. And one of the reasons we're in this room is because of vanilla people like Andrew and all of those who came after him in the last 2,000 years. They just showed up. They just gave what they could, did what they could. And Jesus smiles and says, that'll be enough. Watch what I do with it next.